So this text is very, very popular. Like, I have no doubt in mind, like, I didn't read this, revival didn't break out. You didn't think, I've never heard that before. Um, because it's very, very easy for us reading through the Bible to think things are common, but our hope and joy today is to hopefully show you some things you did not see before. So anybody remember, I'm going to show my age, I'm going to date myself. You remember when Facebook was just Farmville? Amen. Anybody else like that? You remember when Facebook was first started and it was just Farmville and all everybody did was farm? Mike, I bet you had a big farm. You look the kind of guy, you had a big farm, right? And so back in the day, Facebook, you'd have Farmville, you'd have all these older people, don't be, I'm not making fun of you, um, but they would get on Facebook and invite you to come to their field and maybe do this or that. And I remember even being a kid and we had a game, once again, I'm going to date myself on Nintendo 64, that was the golden age of gaming, Amen. And it was called Harvest Moon. Harvest Moon. And so in that game, Kenneth, you played a Kenneth Milligan. You were a farmer. Um, and you had all these crops. You had all these cattle. You had all these donkeys gay, right? Amen. And you had all this stuff out in your fields. And you would go to bed. You would sleep. And you'd get up. You had to water your crops. You had to take a hoe and dig some land. And you'd have to get an axe, chop down trees. It was very much a knockoff of Oregon Trail, amen, uh, in a lot of ways. And so in the whole process, though, you would eventually go out and sow your seed. And then a rainstorm would come and wipe out your produce. It was crazy how it was simulating farming. And then I grew up and I thought, I want to be a farmer. And then I figured out how far hard farming was. I was like, I don't want to be a farmer. Uh, you know, because there's a lot of faith, a lot of chance, a lot of things you cannot control. And so Jesus here begins his parable discourse, begins this por portion of scripture where he's going to lay out these stories. And he takes a very, very normal, natural thing like farming and he gives it eternal significance. He gives it kingdom impact. He takes the ordinary and makes it extraordinary so that the ordinary can understand the extraordinary. This is what he does. This is what the beautiful mastery of preaching looks like by the God-man Jesus. Amen. And seeing this in the text is pretty revolutionary. Why? Because you think about it, how parables are oftentimes very lengthy in nature. You think about how other gospel accounts, Matthew and Luke, have a lot more parables. You think about Mark's gospel. I've kind of highlighted this every bit of the way through Mark's gospel. It's very short. It's very condensed. It's very ESPN, highlight reel, top 10 plays. That's what it is, right? And so you think about Mark's gospel. I mean, you think about Luke's gospel. He's very lengthy. He has a lot of things. He's a doctor. He's got a lot of things he wants to expound upon. And so in Matthew's gospel, as well as in Luke's gospel, these parables have a lot more details. These parables have a lot more meaning. These parables you can have, have a lot more significance to what the author, which is Matthew and Luke, are trying to convey. But remember, Luke, Mark here is trying to get to the nitty-gritty. He's saying, hey, we're going to cut through everything and get straight to the point. But what you'll find is the parable of the sower is a very lengthy parable. What you'll find here in these 20 verses of Scripture is Jesus going through and laying out some very, very important details to the kingdom of God and how the kingdom of God works. And Mark here lays it out beautifully. He call, we call this a Mark sandwich, theologically, where you've got portion A, portion B, and then portion A again, where Mark is trying to get you to really squeeze and see what he's trying to get you to understand. And that's what happens in verses four, I mean verses one through nine is the first part. My first point, guys, is pretty self-explanatory. It's just called listen. Listen. Because did you notice what Jesus did? When he begins talking about these parables in verse number three, he says what? Listen, behold, the sower went out to sow. He's very big on you really listening. He's very big on you. You think about that, that if anybody was going to make an announcement, you'd be like, hello, hello, hey, I got an announcement. I've got an alert, alert. But think about this. Jesus says, listen. 
Listen to what I'm about to say. You can almost think in our modern day times, listen, Linda, listen, listen, listen. You know what I mean? Like at the end of the day, you want people to hear you. My wife, God bless her, she has to live with me and I have to live with her, but she needs a lot more grace living with me, praise God. And at the end of the day, Emily gets really frustrated because I am a man, which means I grunt and nod my head. Any other men in the room like me, amen? But my wife needs verbal. She'll say, did you hear me? I'll be like, yes, I nod my head. Well, I can't see your head. You know what I mean? She needs me to verbally say things. And so I would just say, I'll nod my head. She's like, oh, I couldn't see you nodding your head. And she really wants me to listen to her. She wants me to pay attention. She wants me not just listen with my ears. She wants me to listen with my eyes. She wants me not just listen with my eyes and ears, but my whole body language. She wants me to turn and really listen. If you've got small children, you've been there, and they've grabbed your face, and they'll say, listen, Daddy. And they cup your face, looking you eye to eye, seeing your little soul. I want a cracker. <laughs> Conveying truth, amen. They really want you to listen. And think of how Jesus here is grabbing the crowd by the face and saying, listen to what I'm about to tell you. Pay attention. And this point is even drove home even more at the very end of the first section. Look what he says there in verse number nine. He said, he who has ears to hear, ears to hear, let him hear. Ears to hear, let him hear. Because sometimes you can be hearing and not listening. You can be hearing stuff and not listening. You've never had Spanish before, amen, have you? Where you are hearing, but you ain't listening. Where it is going in one ear and out the other ear. We've all been there before. If you have not been there around an elderly person where they are, you, are, you think they are hearing you, but they are not listening because they cannot hear you. And you tell them story after story after story. I'm reminded of Martha's late, uh, late father, Brother Don. I would tell Don story after story, and he never heard you. I'm reminded of other older men I've been around who you tell them story after story after story, and they never, ever really hear you because they haven't been listening, right? And you think about hearing and listening play a role in this. But think about this. Look what he says here. Hear to listen. He who has ears to hear. Are you hearing? Emily's um, aunt is named Joy Beth, and she is a, uh, what grade does she teach, Emily? First grade. She has these massive plastic ears that she puts on in front of her first grader and says, these are my listening ears. And she looks at them and she's like, when I have these on, it really means I need to listen so I can hear what's being said. And we all think it's hilarious because she even one time got on a FaceTime call. She's like, I'm listening, guys, because she had these massive ears on. But let me ask you this, church. When you come in church, are you listening? When you got your car this morning to drive here, did you put your listening ears on? Or you had, do you have ears to hear like Jesus said to this crowd back 2,000 years ago? Because he was fixing to expound upon the secrets of the kingdom. And if they did not listen, if they did not hear with their ears, they would miss it. And look what he says here. Look what he goes into. He tells them a story. He says, there's a story, he says, there's a, there's a sower who went out to sow, and he went out to sow, and he threw some seed in the path, and the birds came and stole it. Okay, Jesus, okay, we're going with path, going with this, okay. Um, and then he says, he threw some other seed, and it fell among the rocks. He threw some other seed, and guess what? It landed among the thorns. And he finally took some seed, and it fell on the good soil. Anybody else thinking that this sower has bad aim? He only hit one shot out of four. You think about the sparingness nature of this. The sower's just going about, just slinging seed left and right. He ain't even worried about it, right? I mean, you get a seed, you get a seed, you get a seed. I mean, no, he's just going through, just sowing seeds. 
And yet for this modern day audience in this time, in this context in Israel, they would immediately know exactly what he was talking about. They would immediately think, hey, I've seen a farmer doing that. Hey, I've seen a sower doing that. They would take the grain, put it across their waist. They would have the bag of seed here and they would just take it with their hands. This is way before international harvesters, way before, you know, I'm an international harvester. That's all you're getting out of me. Amen. This is way before they were doing all that stuff, right? This is way before big corporations were farming. This was a local agricultural society where you were dependent on the crop that you would bring in. So they understood this. They understood it and they saw what he was saying, but seeing with their eyes and not hearing with their ears, they missed what he was really talking about. He who has ears, let him hear. And in the middle of this parable and the explanation, what does Mark do? Mark puts a piece of meat in his sandwich. And that's verses number 10 and 12. Look what he says here in verses 10 and 12. And when he was alone... Those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. So look what Mark does here. He does a quick little shift, and you would not pay attention to it unless you read it very slowly. He goes from the crowd to the core, and then he'll, go, he'll stay with the core. Okay, So look, he does it very, very quickly. Look what he does. He shifted there when he was alone. So he was by the sea educating, right? He was over there. He was educating the, the masses. He was giving a sermon saying, hey, listen, he who has ear, let him hear. And then he shifts automatically in one quick verse to saying, while Jesus was alone. So some time has passed. Some time has passed from him preaching and teaching to him being alone with the twelve. And look what happens here. He said to them, to you has been given the secrets of the kingdom of God. But from those outside, everything is in parables. Look what Jesus says. Jesus is saying, guess what? Those outside of us, those who are not among the disciples, those who are not with me, those who are not a part of me, those who are not being with me every single day, they are not getting the whole story. You know, they're not getting the rest of the story, like Paul Harvey would say, right? They're not getting the full, full picture of what God is doing. And it's done this way because the Bible is constantly contrasting those who are inside and those who are outside. This is something from the very first pages of Scripture we see that there are insiders and outsiders. There are people who are saved. There are people who are lost. There are people who are walking with God. There are people who are walking with the devil. There are these insiders and outsiders mentality from the very first pages of Scripture. You see, Adam and Eve were inside the garden. And then guess what? God removed them and put them outside of the garden. You think about how they have children. You think about Cain killed Abel. You think about all these things that happened, and you think about Seth was an insider. You see this picture in the Gospels. You see this picture in the Word of God of people being inside the camp and people being outside the camp. You see people being members of the household of God and people being members of the household of the enemy. You see this dual people side by side over and over again in Scripture. And you see insiders and outsiders. And the crazy thing is, the crazy thing about the Gospels is the Gospels really show us that it is the people outside the camp that God longs to be inside the camp. It is the people outside the normal realm of who people think should be associated with God that God leaves the normal to go after them and bring them in to show extraordinary grace. You see this over and over again. Think about Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a tax collector. He was outside, right? About the woman at the well. Guess what? She was, you could arguably say, she was an adulteress, right? She had had five husbands, you know, over and over again. She had had all these things going on in her life, and she was outside the camp, you could say. And Jesus brought her inside. You can see this over and over again, that God leaves the 99 to go after the one. 
And if he doesn't make you be thankful, I don't know what else will, because one time God left the 99 to go after you. Because you were an outsider. Nobody's born an insider. There's a lot of things you can pass down to your kids, hair genetics, amen? A lot of things you can pass down to your kids, you can't pass down Christianity. It's not inherited. It's not like you get saved and, oh, they're automatically going to heaven because they're going to be raised in our house, led by our uh, rules and regulations, going to have our morals, our values. No, the truth of the matter is, look at this, my second point is critical for you to understand what I mean by this. Not only should we listen, the next thing you need to understand about listening is is given. It's given. Did you notice that? To you, it has been given. You know how I know salvation's not work-based? Because of this verse. You know how I know salvation's not work-based? Because it's been given. Let me tell you something. If the gift has been given in the first place, what makes you think in the second place it was earned? Because it was given. It was given. Look what Jesus says. To you, it has been given to know these things. Do we not really understand that it is a gift of God that you even know about God? You know, there's two massive forms of revelation as far as God revealing Himself. When I say revelation, I mean God revealing Himself. Not about the book of Revelation. I'm talking about God revealing Himself to us. There is general revelation. General revelation is nature itself. This is what the psalmist would say, the heavens above declare the glory of God. Guys, I firmly believe that every human being on the entire earth, according to Romans 1, knows there is a creator. It is ingrained in us that we know there is a creator. We know there is a God. We know it. From our inside, our consciousness even bears within itself there is a God because of general revelation. Like you know that God is the author of everything. We know that. It's a general conscience we have that we are aware there is created. That's general revelation, okay? The next part of revelation is special revelation. So general revelation, everybody knows about general revelation. Everybody sees it. Everybody's aware of it. But special revelation is the very word of God itself. Special revelation starts with the Bible. Why? Because this is special a special way in which God reveals himself. Think about this, church. You can only know God as much as God is willing to allow you himself to be known by you. Some of y'all missed it. You missed it. It just went, thump, amen. Where's my meme at? Put my meme up there. You missed it. I'm only able to know Emily as much as she's able to reveal to me how much I need to know her. Humans are good at it, right? You ever learned how to control your face? I can't do it. I fail at it miserably. I'm really bad at controlling my face. Like, if I'm disappointed, I'm disappointed. If I'm mad, y'all know. Y'all been, I've been the pastor long enough. You know when I'm mad, amen? If I'm in a bad mood, you can just see it all over my face. I'm a bad, bad, bad person at controlling and not revealing myself and how I really feel. Last night, uh, my in-laws came over and they brought um, little Esther, a little toy, bluey stuffed animal, which I don't know about for you, but as for me in my house, we watch all episodes four times. Uh, you know, they brought it over and then they gave Emily some uh, nerd um, little candy she really loves. They gave it to her and Emily's like, oh my gosh, thanks. They gave me some little Debbies and I said, thanks. And they laughed and of course my beautiful wife said, you need to act more excited when people give you things. And I was like, we need to do the whole thing where I practice. It's an avocado. <laughs> Thanks. Because I'm really, really bad at not revealing myself, in a sense, from my facial expressions. I'm really bad at not showing my real emotions. But here's the thing about the Lord. 
this is going to blow your mind. I'm telling you, I ain't ready for it. Even in eternity, we will not fully be able to grasp the eternal one. Why don't you sit on that a little while? Sit on that a little while. Some of you thinking, what? Because you're only able to fully understand things about God that God is willing to, for you to understand Him and know Him in those regards. Like, you can't study this book and know it like a subject. Why? Because you cannot study this book and know the author without the author first revealing himself to you in this book. Some of y'all, I left you 45 minutes ago. Because that's what I mean by God's special revelation. Do you not understand? It is a gift that you even know who God is. It's a gift that the gospel came to you. It's a gift you have a copy of the Word of God. It's a gift that you get to sit in God's people and hear the Word preached. It's a gift. And here's the thing. It's been given you. Guys, it's been given you. You have a mind you can read. Do you understand? It is a gift around the world to, have, to be able to read literature, and yet we have, we have hundreds of Bibles around, not even, probably not even hundreds, but dozens of Bibles in our homes, and we never read the Word of God. It's a gift because it's been given you. It's been given us. To you it has been given the secrets. It's not been earned. It's been given it's been given. It's been given. Guys, I'm telling you, if you don't understand that it's a gift from God, you'll misrepresent the gospel. When we start taking the gospel thinking, I've earned the gospel, it ceases being the gospel and it starts becoming man-made religion on its way to God when that's not the gospel. The gospel is God has given us salvation through His Son. He didn't earn it. It was given to you as a free gift of God. It was given to you. To you it has been given the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, guess what hadn't been given? Everything's in parables. He quotes a piece of scripture there. I'll give you a, you know, you can look it up by cross-referencing, but that's quoted from Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6, when Isaiah sees the Lord on his throne, and remember the classic, classic Bible verse, you probably heard it, who shall I send? And what does Isaiah say? Lord, send me. Lord, send me. And what does God say? Everybody, everybody jumps off the wagon after that. Everybody's thinking, yeah, Isaiah's going to this people. And what does God say? I'm going to send you and the people aren't going to listen. I'm going to send you and they're not going to pay attention. I'm going to send you and guess what? They will hear and not be able to perceive. I'm going to send you and they won't, they won't pay attention. Because you know what should humble you real quick? You can't make people respond to God. Let me challenge you real quick too on this. You can't change people. You can't do it. You know how I get mad real quick? Try to change your spouse. Just try. Put every bit of effort you got into it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make her or him into the image I want them to be. Unless they got a diaper, you can't change them, right? Even your kids. You might think, I'll set up rules. I'll set up regulations, I'll set up things, and I will change this little image bearer to be exactly what I want them to be. It will backfire. Because you can't do it. The only one who can change is God himself. The only one who can change us is God himself. Because God is unchangeable. Now what do I mean by that? I mean that God is the agent of change. 
God is the one who opens our ears to hear. God is the one who opens our eyes to see. God is the one who puts breath in your lungs to worship Him. It all starts with God. I'm reminded of uh, what Paul says in his conversion. He said, it was like scales fell off my eyes. He'd been reading the Torah his entire life, but it wasn't until the Holy Spirit got a hold of him that he went changed from being Saul to Paul. Why? Because he had been changed. He had been changed. His whole life he'd been in church. His whole life he'd been in synagogue. His whole life he'd been reading the Old Testament. His whole life he had thought he was serving God, but his whole life he had missed it because it hadn't been given yet. Hadn't been given yet. And it leads us to our last part. Not only listening, but not only giving, but the next is growing. I'm going to get to, this is the main text here. You know how I know a parable is explained in the right way when Jesus explains the parable. You know what you shouldn't do? Well, to me, the parable says this. We interpret Scripture with Scripture, right? So we look at what Jesus, how Jesus explains the parable. Look what he says here. And he said that them do not understand the parable. How will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. So this first group of categories, guess what? The ones that fall among the path and the birds come, what does Jesus say? Jesus says, that's Satan. Satan comes in and immediately snatches it. Now, I know many of you, you're thinking, yeah, amen, pastor, spiritual warfare is real. I'm telling you, the word of God's real, and I've never, ever, ever had uh, the enemy snatch anything from me. It's amazing how the first thing you do when you leave here is let the enemy snatch your attention. It's amazing how as soon as you leave here, you're not even thinking about the sermon, the Word of God. You're thinking, oh, I've got to get somewhere to eat. got to go meet some people. got to do this. I wonder what's going on on Facebook. I wonder if the things at Asbury are still going on. We're more interested in the movement of God everywhere else except for our own lives. I wonder how many tools the enemy has used to distract us and snatch the Word of God from our lives. You know, my favorite, the one the enemy always gets me with, well, you can do it later. You ever had that lie told to you over and over again? We'll just do it later. You get up in the morning, you run behind for work because you slept in a little bit more than you should, and you thought, hey, I'm going to hit the snooze button. And you thought, man, I, want, I was supposed to start devotions today. I was supposed to start my morning devotions today. And you hear that, that lie of the enemy saying, well, just do it later. So you rush through the morning, you get to lunch, and you're thinking, well, I should be, I could probably do devotions during lunch. We're probably thinking, no, I want to get on Facebook, get on Twitter, I want to read about this, I want to read about that, or maybe I want to check this for work, I want to call this person, call that person. And you say, you can just do it later. And you go throughout the day, you run in the house, you go home, you're, you're in a frizzy. Why? Because you're thinking, I've only got two hours with my kid before they go to bed. And so you try to get through things, and you, you, you go through the motions, and you sit in your chair, and you're exhausted. And, and once again, you hear that thing, hey, I should probably get in the Word of God. But you hear the same old lie you've heard all day along. You can just do it later. And you get in bed with your spouse. You're probably thinking, man, I should probably connect um, with her or him. I should probably connect with my spouse, really try to really grow our marriage. But, you know, we're both tired. And it's easier to watch Netflix as vegetables, as communicate as a couple. And so we can just do it later. We can connect later. And then before you know it, what used to be a thing that was put off later never happens at all. Why? Because the enemy has came and stolen away the very act of God in our lives. Could do it later. I'll connect with my kids later. I can go down the list, church. I'll start tithing 
when I get financially stable. I'll do it later. I'll put God first when I get all these other things done. Later. The seed is stolen from the enemy before the seed can do anything. He says, the ones who are sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, and they have no root in themselves, but endure for a little while. When tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. You think about when you first got saved, you think about how you were so excited. You had joy that could not be contained. You left here, you called your granddaddy, your grandpappy, your grandmammy, you called everybody, right? Telling everybody, hey, I got saved, I had an encounter with God. You, you were so excited. Fire was burning, red hot. And then over time, that fire becomes a small flame. And then over time, what used to be a massive bonfire is now just a small little pile of embers where great life used to be. And you think about what the text says. What does the text say? The text says, on account of the word, persecution and tribulation come. The big lie of modern Christianity is that if you become a Christian, all your problems will go away. The big lie that I'm afraid many in our churches have swallowed hook, line, and sinker is if I become a Christian, life will be easier. And that is the opposite of Christianity of the Bible. You see, somehow in our minds, we thought that if we conformed to the world, we would gain the world and we would have an opportunity to share the gospel with the world. Let me tell you something. When we conform to the world, we've lost the gospel and we've lost every opportunity. You cannot gain the world by being in the same boat as the world. You can't do it. You can't do it, church. Well, if I do what they do, then they'll accept me, and then I'll have an opportunity to share with them things. Guys, that's not how... We're called to live by these standards. We're called to live by this book. We're called to live in a different kingdom than they're living in. We're called to be different. And it's sad to say, but I wonder how many of us, the first sign of persecution, the first sign of tribulation, we just gave it up. You know people like this. You know, think in your head how many people you've seen saved in your life. Think about how many of those same people who got saved, quote unquote got saved, are still in church today. Not many. They had joy. They were burning white hot. And then guess what? They faded away. Do you see what it said, the text? Do you see what Jesus says? He says what? Had no root in themselves. Did you notice that? Has no root in themselves. So it wasn't an act of God that got them saved. It was an act of themselves. Like, I got saved. I did this. I did that. Because let me tell you something about God. God doesn't start something and not finish it. He who began a good work and you will finish it. That's what Christ says. So, Pastor, what does that mean for that brother or sister who was hot and heavy for church and they just quit? 
that mean they're still going to heaven? You gotta, where's the fruit? That's the question. Where's the fruit? Now, the age-old Baptist word I love, backslidden, right? I'm just backslidden. Sister, brother, you've been backslidden for 20 years. You're not saved. You're not. Because I'm telling you, the reality of it is they're on the rocky ground. The next part, oh, this one's going to be good. Some of y'all better pull your toes back, amen. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enters in, chokes the word, and it proves unfruitful. The cares of the world. What do I mean by the cares of the world, guys? Let me tell you something. I, I was talking to, to Mike over there this morning um, about it. That uh, I was reading in a book last night, and uh, Tim Keller had this powerful, powerful, powerful way of talking about sin. He said that every sin starts because it first goes through idolatry. Every sin starts because it first goes through the first commandment, thou shalt have another God before me. Every sin, when you break it, it goes through that first one. You don't, you don't agree? I'll, I'll prove it to you. A little self-explanatory. You steal, people steal because they think God has not been gracious and good to them. They think God is withholding something, so therefore they've got to make it and take it for themselves. Y'all follow me? When you commit adultery, you might think, no, it's, it's, a, it's not a crime against the Lord, it's a crime against my spouse. No, 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 no. What does Scripture tell us? Who is the ultimate imagery of the perfect husband in Scripture? It's God himself. It's God himself. What does Paul challenge the church of Ephesus to do? Love your wives like what? Like Christ loves his church. So when I'm not loving my wife well, it's not a problem with Emily. It's a problem with me because I've taken my eyes off Jesus. You see what I'm saying here, church? That everything stems from not a proper alignment with me and God's relationship. Where I put something else above the Lord. Everything. Why do you lie? You might think, oh, I don't lie. You lie because you want to make yourself look better, and it's full of pride. And pride, guess what, seeps in because guess what? Your ego is your God. You've got to look a certain way. So your self-image of yourself is more important than God's image of you. Every sin, I'm telling you, stems from the thought that, I, that God's not the most important thing in my life. And that's why he says here, they, they cares for the world. Cares for the world. Church, think about this. Everything that you see is fading. Your looks are fading. Your uh, stock market portfolio has been fading for two years now. Amen. Your clothes are fading, they'll wear out. Everything you see is fading. The world's fading away. just keeps getting more bizarre out there. If you turn on the news and watch what's going on, it's crazy. People have lost their minds. And see, so you might think, well, if I just keep staying up with them, then I'll be okay. But look what the text says. The deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things enters in, and it chokes the word, and it proves unfruitful. It chokes you. You know what I mean by this? 
you miss a couple weeks from church, you say, oh, it's just a couple weeks. Everybody misses a couple weeks. It's not that big a deal. Pastor, everybody needs a break. I understand. Everybody needs a vacation. Sometimes I need a vacation from you, amen. You need a vacation from me. And all of God's people say it. Amen. Amen, right? But as time goes on, they start missing a little bit more. And then as time goes on, you start seeing that they're not missing because they went to a sister's church. They're not missing because they went to see somebody Baptist. They're missing because they would rather go do other things on Sunday because it's their only free day. That's the phrase I love. It's my only day off. It's my only day. It's my only day. It's my only day. You see how every sin starts? It's my only day. And so very quickly what happens, it begins to choke you. And sure enough, an ankle hold turns into a knee hold, and a knee hold turns into a chokehold. And before you know it, that person's choked out. Why? Because they've got no fruitfulness in their life. Because the cares for this world, like thorns, have choked them out. And that's what happens. But did you notice here, there's only one soil that produces fruit. 25%. It's not good odds. You hand me a parachute that says, hey, it only works one-fourth of the time. I ain't jumping. I ain't jumping, bro. But here's you need to understand something. The math in the kingdom is different than math on earth. We look at this and say, man, the sower, he's not that good. We look at this and say, man, is it really worth this? But do you notice what happens here? In the one soil that is good, what does it do? It bears fruit in 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. That means 100-fold. One seed brought forth a 100 other seeds. 100-fold. So what is Jesus getting at here? Jesus is really pushing us to think about what does success look like in the church? What does success look like in the ministry? What does success look like in God's kingdom? And he would say it looks like this. When somebody who has been cultivated by the Holy Spirit responds to the Word of God, the Word takes root in their life, and it produces fruit. And how would the Bible say, what would it say to someone accepting? Look what he says there. Hear the Word, accept it, and bear fruit. you see the steps? They hear the Word, they accept it, and then they bear fruit. So don't just hear it and not accept it. They hear it and accept it. What does it mean to accept the word? It means to fully believe what God is telling you is true. When you fully believe what God is saying is true. To take God at his word. When you take God at his word, church, what does the Bible say? The Bible says you will have fruit that comes from your life. Now what is that fruit? Are we talking about riches? No, we're talking about fruits of the Spirit, right? Love, joy, peace, like all those things will be the fruit that comes out of your life because you've not only heard the Word of God, but you've accepted it and said, God, what you say is true is true. Not what politicians say, not what scientists say, but what the creator of the universe says is true is true. What God defines a man is is what a man is. What God defines a woman is is what a woman is. What God defines what murder is is murder. What God defines a family is is family. Church, it's not up for a vote. It's not up for discussion. As for us, as the people of God, it's what God says. And we are called not only to preach it, but accept it. 
You might think, well, everybody else is doing it. I'll tell you what my mom told me growing up. If everybody jumped off a bridge, Nicholas, would you do it? Church, just because everybody's doing it doesn't mean we should do it. We should stick to our agenda. We should stick to the game plan. We should stick to the Word of God. And you might be like, well, Pastor Rick, what if they persecute us? It's only temporary. Pastor Nick, what if they take things away from us? They can't take away the thing that they never gave us, which is Christ. Well, Pastor Nick, what if it gets worse? It will. Well, Pastor Nick, what if they keep going crazier? They will. I don't know if you know this church, but every time they put a line in the sand, they keep moving the line. You know the thing that's always been constant? The Word. God's never changed His stance. Not once God said, no, I didn't do things right. No, his word will never, ever fade. As for the flowers and the grass, they will wither, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And it bears fruit. It bears fruit. I've asked, people have asked me this week, what do you think about Asbury? I think it's college. People keep asking me, what about Asbury? Well, and I've talked to people about, let me tell you something. How, we don't know, I don't know if it's real. I don't know if it's, I don't know what it is. I know people respond now, God's moving. It appears to have preaching. It appears to have confession of sin. It appears to have repentance. It appears to have all the marks of what God's move does in the scriptures. But here's the real truth. We won't see the fruit for many years to come. And the proof, stay with me, is in the fruit. You know, if you put an apple seed in the ground, you're going to have an apple tree. I've never walked up to a Mountain Dew station and got Dr. Pepper. But the guy did his job right, I should say. Hey, man. When you push that thing in, you should get out the displayed thing. Hey, Dr. Pepper comes out of Dr. Pepper Fountain. I want Dr. Pepper. If we are the people of God, in the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, lives in us then the very fruits of the spirit should be evident in our lives if the fruits of the spirit stay with me are not evident in our lives then that would tell you that the spirit is not evident in our lives if the spirit is not evident in our lives that would tell you we don't have a relationship with God because God when he has a relationship with you gives you his spirit it's proper order how would Jesus say it? Jesus would say it like this in John 15. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. And so prove to me my disciples. It is when we bear fruit that we prove we are God's disciples. What does Mark chapter 3 verse 35 says? Whoever, but whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Whoever does the word of God. Whoever does the will of God. Whoever does what God tells them to do. It's not who hears it, it's who does it. Do we do it? At the end of the day, my wife does not want me to tell her I love her. She wants me to show her I love her. At the end of the day, God doesn't just want me to say, Lord, I love you. He wants me to obey him. At the end of the day, church, if we are thinking, I know I can see, I can tell by your religious smugness, I love you, amen. I can tell you're thinking, I'm the good soil. 
me, Pastor Nick. Check, 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 check. Not me. I'm not the rocky. I'm not the path. I'm not any of those. I'm the good soil. Don't assume you're the good soil. And if you are the good soil, you, should, you, should, you know what it should do for you? Humble you. Because it was given. It was a gift of God. It was given. You didn't earn it. It was given. And if you are the good soil, what does the Bible say? The Bible says you'll have to be fruitful. 30, 60, 100. You'll be fruitful. And the only way we can be fruitful is if we be faithful. And the only way we be faithful is because he's been faithful to us. Do you see how God starts this whole thing and he ends it? He does it in spite of us. God accomplishes it. 